the earth nature has been here billions of years a long time and nature always gives us a chance to grow something there's many lessons to be learned you're listening to the good dirt podcast this is a place where we dig into the nitty-gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer, a slow-living apparel and lifestyle brand. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having constantly in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. Come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Mom, today I made tuna salad and it was really good and I was I was channeling you while I was making it because you make really good tuna salad and I just put whatever I could find in the fridge all the different veggies and stuff in it and I boiled some eggs and my boyfriend was like wow this tuna salad is really good and I was like that's how my mom makes it well how about that because I had tuna salad for lunch today also what Yes. And it, um, I did pretty much the same thing. Um, although I didn't make it, your dad made it. Um, but I added the greens from, <laughs> um, the CSA in there. CSA is tomorrow. So we're sort of at the end of our greens for the I week. did too. I put it on top of salad yeah. on top of mixed greens that I got at the farmer's market yesterday. Yeah, it was so good. I hadn't had tuna salad in a while. That's something we usually crack out in the summer, in the summer yeah. it was like kind of a summery thing, but, um, it was delicious and I really enjoyed it. And yeah, yeah, I think it's a great way to eat a bunch of veggies and a relatively healthy lunch that, um, has a lot of protein in it. Yeah. And you know, else is great on, on tuna salad is microgreens. Oh, um, you snip them off at the dirt line and sprinkle them on top so delicious crunchy fresh and if any of you don't know what we're talking about when we say microgreens um we have an article about it on our blog that tells you all about it and very easy thing you can grow in your windowsill all year long and get super high nutrient little greens yeah right there in your windowsill it's just like grow your own food starts can start as close as your your window sunny window i also made the mayonnaise for the tuna salad uh guess what i did too <laughs> well we must be related <laughs> i know yeah also guys this homemade mayonnaise recipe is in the book the lady farmer god to slow living once you make this mayonnaise at home it is uh, foolproof in less than one minute to do it. You will never buy mayonnaise again. Never. Yeah. I, I know predict. you say that. I, I do sometimes buy mayonnaise, but I also make it. You do. <laughs> yeah. Now, 
Okay, th- that's interesting. Why would you buy mayonnaise when you can make it in less than one minute at home and, and, and you know the exact ingredients and it has like three ingredients? And when you buy mayonnaise, it's got like 45 ingredients on it and nine, ten, seven, you can't even pronounce. That's a great question. When I buy yeah. mayonnaise, I usually buy the really like bougie, <laughs> healthy mayonnaise <laughs> that doesn't have 45 ingredients in it. There's this brand yeah. I really like called Sir Kensington's. And it's like just mm-hmm. eggs and oil and it comes in a glass jar. So that's why I like it. And a couple of reasons why I might not make it at home is if I am out of avocado oil, which is the main yeah. ingredient. Um, or if like something that we eat a lot at this house is like, um, like sandwiches or like sausages on a bun. It's like a quick lunch. And we go through a lot of mayonnaise. So sometimes it's helpful to have, like if I'm just at the store, it's just easy to grab one. But I do, I, I do try to buy good brands and it's much more satisfying when I make it myself. I also will say you've got a really good point about the um, avocado oil because if you use olive oil, which is what people tend to have around more, it does have a very strong flavor. So, but this is not your, um, old school mayonnaise recipe where you're trying to drizzle the oil in very, very slowly. This is um, something you make um, very quickly with a, an immersion blender. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's super easy. If you're interested, Lady Farmer God is so living. And the recipe actually comes from a book called The Hands-On Home by Erica Strauss. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. And it is her recipe. It's called Magic Mayo. So there you go. You can look and get it there. (laughs) So back to, we were talking about microgreens and growing your own food, which is a great segue into uh, today's episode. And if you hear some gnawing on a bone, that's my dog. She's right here. Her name's Nellie. Yes. So today we have Kip and Angelique two young entrepreneurs that created Smarter by Nature. This is an urban and rural farming business serving the area of Tallahassee, Florida. Their goal is to provide fresh produce and opportunities for economic sustainability through education, as well as to take care of the soil and restore the natural environment. They say they are inspired by the desire to create sustainable relationships between people and the natural environment by providing education and fresh food to their local community. They are such a joy to talk to and to work with. We had Kip and Angelique at our Slow Living Retreat in November. They taught a workshop on small-scale regenerative agriculture, which was one of our most popular workshops, and uh, the one that we heard the most some of the most feedback, positive feedback about uh, and after spending time with them in this interview, as you will find as well, um, it's pretty clear as to why they are both just so smart, so full of knowledge and passion for what they do. And uh, I'd certainly learned so much from them. Do you want to tell them a little bit about what we heard in this episode? Yes. So in this episode, they talk about the beginning of their enterprise, how they met, how they had the idea to get started in this business, their challenges, what they've learned, their methods for protecting the soil and rebuilding the soil, 
and their interactions with the community and their hopes and dreams for the future. Just a really wonderful conversation that we enjoyed and we think you will enjoy as well. Yeah, we get into some really nitty gritty stuff about soil too, which is really interesting and I learned a lot. Um, And before we launch into the episode, talking about the Slow Living Retreat reminded me that we have a couple of events coming up. Two of them are exclusively for members of the Almanac. So if you're in the Almanac right now, this is for you. And if you are not currently a member, then you can sign up for the waiting list to be to enroll for the spring season currently we're in winter and um so we have uh my mom is teaching restorative yoga which is really wonderful and we're working on sorting out the details for like a ceremonial cacao workshop which is really exciting and then um this is open to non-members of the almanac as well we're working on an intensive like a more intensive, longer workshop geared towards more intermediate to advanced people, growers interested in growing their own food at home. Uh, that'll be sometime in March. And so stay tuned for more information on that. Any Anything else to announce, Mom? No, I think that's it for now. So let's get into the episode. are smarter by nature. We're regenerative farmers and our farm is in Quincy, Florida, about 30 minutes from Tallahassee. And we grow like on about a half of an acre to an acre. We grow annual vegetables and perennial plants as well. And pretty much how this all started is we met at a march in New York called the NY People's Climate March in 2014. And uh, we were there with thousands of people. Uh, It was mostly about climate change, but uh, where we came in and how that chapter pivoted for us is that we learned that there was a food climate as well that existed. The state of welfare in, in terms of food sustainability in communities and that uh, we were surprised to hear that the city that we live in, Tallahassee, Florida, is considered a food desert by the USDA, meaning that where we live, there's no fresh local food within a mile and a half radius within the city. So that's something that sparked our interest. And it was there that we realized that we shared a passion for sustainability with thousands of other people. We came back to Tallahassee. We went with uh, our college university, FAMU, and it was there when we arrived back that a group of students, we began gardening right away. And uh, I knew nothing about gardening. I never planted in my life, but I know I had to start learning the foundation about growing food. If I want to be a part of the change, I have to start by creating awareness within myself. So we started spending our time Instead of going to the movies, we went to the movies sometimes, but we really spent a lot of our time at the garden. That was like our sanctuary. And we spent so much time there that we were like, man, time is money. We're all growing adults and we need to somehow make this sustainable for ourselves as well as for our community. So we created the business Smarter by Nature and um, we're here today. So you came into it through like climate 
activism, basically. Right, right. And you didn't know each other before you went on the school trip to New York? We did not know each other. that's so cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But you were on, like, I guess it was the same trip. Like, were y'all all on a bus or something? Right, we're on the charter bus. It was uh, 20 people in total. It was uh, 16 students and um, four, like, professors and chaperones. And um, we were just amongst a group of people and bouncing ideas off of each other about what role do we play and what we just participated in and how could we make that moment last how could we create a movement from that moment uh, you know it, so it was a cool trip but yeah. once you get back you're, yeah. you're faced with all this information and where you're at so yeah i just got goosebumps that's right awesome. <laughs> so so now you're you have a farm a half acre farm outside of tallahassee is it in a rural area or did you just find a spot in a, a suburban or urban area or so hmm. this is our actual this year marked our first year in a rural area Okay. So it is 30 minutes away. Uh, it was piece of land that's been sitting there for the past 20 years. It used to be a farm 20 years ago, yeah. and it was just left untouched. Oh. And the elder who owns the space, we we happen to be presenting for a professor at FAMU to a class about our urban farming business. She was sitting in the class and she's an elder in Quincy. She used to be the mayor of Quincy, oh. but she's an elder there. And she heard our story and she said, hey, I have this piece of land that's been sitting. And if you guys are willing to come out there and make something of it, then have at it. So that was like our eyes lit up and that was a big opportunity for us. So we that, this is our first time in this amount of space. Previous, we were doing, and which we still do, our backyard. And we were doing um, like different lots around town. Some we had a lot that a pastor owned, he allowed us to take it up. So we were hopping from like plot to plot in urban areas, and this is our first time with a rural space. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm also curious when you came back and you started right after the trip and you guys started your garden, is that still going? It's down the street from a school, and it's a community plot, um, that where they allow people to get a plot for free mm-hmm. uh to learn and to do, uh, to experiment with your growing methods but this year it was actually shut down in order to so that they can reorganize it okay. and make it more feasible for more people to be a part of it so they're going to revamp it and we actually want to get a community plot specifically for like teaching others and sharing um, with them the value of growing so we're waiting on that to come back yeah that's so cool that seems yeah. like such a um an important asset for the school too to to talk about that they have something like that a minute ago you said you're a regenerative farmer and um yeah we use that term a lot um but i think some of our audience might want to know what that means for you um it, it kind of means different things to different people but tell us about your role as a regenerative farmer and what that means Really, I am passionate about caring for the earth and not just planting food and being able to eat it, but also taking care of the soil and making sure that there is fertility in the soil and life in the soil beyond what I can manage. So uh, being a regenerative farmer It means that you think holistically about your growing process. Before you put the seed in the ground, you think about the condition of the soil, how you're feeding the soil, 
the microbes, just all the life that's in there, you want to foster that growth. So that's really what it means. Um, a lot of people uh, use the term sustainable that falls in there. Um, and it's just mainly taking care of the soil. And you do that with various methods, keeping plants in the ground, having a diversity of plants in the ground, not excessively tilling the ground, not excessively using synthetic chemicals. Um, it means that when you harvest, you are putting what you took away back into the soil. So it's really a holistic approach to uh, farming, gardening, it could be on any scale. Anybody could be a regenerative grower. And it just means that you pay attention and you have intent to care for the earth, the soil, the water, the air is really uh, cyclical. Also for our listening audience, can you explain like how how is that produce that you come up with Maybe different, maybe not in all cases, but you know, you walk into a grocery store and there in front of you on the display are these conventionally grown things from wherever. How how is your produce different from that? Before we um, plant the seed in the ground, we want to make sure that the soil has everything it needs. What we do is we use different minerals like azomite that has uh, trace minerals that feed the microorganisms. And so we want to make sure that the bacteria and the microorganisms are comfortable and have all the food they need. So in a conventional setting, they wouldn't really care about that. They'll just till up the ground, plant the seed, fertilize it, water it, and go on about their day. With us, we mainly do local, so our food wouldn't travel as far as 3,000 miles from California to Florida. It's way less than 100 miles, but we grow locally grown produce and we harvest also the day before our market so that all the water content, all the minerals are still in the vegetable. So um, those it's different in how we are growing processed and then how we harvest. Yeah, and then what, so that translates because you see more robust plants when you're purchasing from local farmers. Generally at the farmer's market, um, we also supply to an online market as well. But when you're purchasing from local markets and you compare that to plug in any of your major grocery stores, even like collard greens, which is um, this one of the season's crops, you can just tell by the leaves, by the water content, which one is more robust and which one is a little wilted. That's really the main difference in terms of translating from the consumer's uh, perspective, uh, flavor wise. We don't necessarily taste them like neck neck and neck like that, but I, I would vouch for our flavor a lot better than what you would get from a local from a large scale grocer. And also, we don't use harmful chemicals at all. 
if anything, will make compost tea from the plants that are in our area or we'll make a natural fertilizer from garlic or use a natural bacteria that's found in the soil. Um, so we really care about each process um, and we don't want to feed anybody chemicals on their vegetables. You, you guys might have already answered this in the past, um, in the past couple questions, but we're, I'm just wondering, what are some of the guiding principles of Smarter by Nature, like y'all's business? What keeps you... What's your kind of North Star and what's your elevated pitch? For us, um, one of our guiding principles is minimal tillage of the soil. Uh, We're pretty much doing the opposite of whatever is the leading cause of agriculture today. Um, Little to no, really no chemical fertilizer, uh, no chemical pesticides. Those are like two guiding principles for us. Always keep your soil covered. That's that's a main thing which you can do with non-living organic matter or you can do with living plants and also teach what we know to others to share our ups and our downs. That Those are some principles that keep us going. Can you talk about some of those downs? I mean, I imagine using all this natural stuff. Does your stuff die a lot? Do you get bugs? All that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> it's definitely quite the challenge and experience. Um it fortifies us and makes us stronger and wiser moving forward. And it's a building system, but it doesn't happen as quick and as fast as if we had large machines and chemicals. Um, Some of the challenges, as we mentioned, is pests, uh, dealing with insects, finding natural ways to deal with insects is, is, can be a thing. One of the things that we use is diatomaceous earth, uh, which are uh, natural minerals. And we also use, as, as Angelique mentioned, garlic. If you take a pound of garlic and you boil it down over the course of maybe three to six hours, that's when you have like a concentrated form of garlic and you dilute that and mix it with water, spray on your plants. And that's been working for us this season. Um, yeah. That's a pesticide so, or a fertilizer? It's, it's a pesticide. Yeah, it, it doesn't actually kill the plants. I mean, it doesn't actually kill the bugs. They're very sensitive to smells. So you can do this with any type of uh, strong smelling plant. Sun chokes is a, is a major thing that people use. You can use mint. And anything that has an aroma, pretty much boil it down, dilute it with water, and spray it on your plants. And that's been working for us really well. I'm going to totally use that. Um, I was just planting garlic yesterday it's just, oh it's, nice. now is the season Perfect. here for it y'all have probably planted all year long huh and in, in, in um, we, we didn't uh plant garlic we actually tried garlic but in our area yeah. only one type of garlic works in, for us uh what we did do that was really good was our onions we, we planted some sweet onions mm-hmm. and it's funny because they're both in the same family yeah. but our onions did really well it's very and we funny because we didn't get any onions yeah this year. opposite here ah uh, uh, okay we gotta do wet, a quench yes, <laughs> they rot they, they rot so easily but yeah. the garlic the garlic does does pretty well and it's, it's one thing you can plant in like october to december here and then and then it, it gets ready like well you get the scapes in june and then you the garlic comes in july i, I was gonna say uh one more challenge for us is with the type of growing that we do specifically, you can be a regenerative farmer and still do what we don't do, but we use minimal water. 
So a lot of people, they use like drip irrigation and we're like, we're trying to reduce the plastic use. And when it comes to drip irrigation, oftentimes you have to replace the plastic year after year. And it's like, what's happening? Where is this plastic going? So what we do is we store hay and like carbon, organic matter on top of our plants. And that really works. We live in North Florida, so we're blessed to get uh, frequent rains. But for every three inches of water, the hay uh, stores, it locks up one inch of water. So it's like a reservoir that's happening and that's uh, feeding our plants. It's, it's maintaining moisture over time. Do you mix the hay in, in the soil? Yeah, we just cover it, lay it on top. Oh, okay. And what happens is the bottom layer, as moisture comes, the bottom layer, it decays over time. Mm-hmm. That feeds microorganisms. And then the top layer covers the soil. The top layer is like that umbrella that uh, keeps it keeps it moist. So we hand water. We'll water our plants in, and we might water them every other, like once a month or something, just to make sure they're, they're, they're okay. But for oh, the wow. most part, we let the natural rain cycles, and we let the hay uh, do its job. And we just posted a post today on our Instagram about our turmeric, and we didn't water it at all. We, we watered it once, and um, we fed it once, like the day that we planted. We left it alone, and we had so much robust turmeric. So it, it works. I'm doing this. Okay. That's yeah. crazy. I'm, I'm learning so much. Um, I want to ask you, though, I've heard of this phenomenon, I guess you call it, where if you get your hands on on hay, like if you want to use hay as a mulch or whatever, and, and it comes from a field where an herbicide has been used to keep something out, something then it can ruin your garden. And so I've been so afraid to use hay because I don't know where it comes from and I can't find, you know, try to find out and make phone calls and nobody really wants to tell you, oh yeah, we sprayed our hay field. They don't want to say that. So, right, right. So what do you, right. how do you know your hay is free? Or of- does it even have an effect? Right. So what we've experienced, because this is just one experience that might be different from others, mm-hmm. but one thing is that we use old spoiled hay. It's already started this microbial process of breaking down. So we're about to get into, we're about to dive into this aspect now. My, mycelium, which is the root system of mushrooms. And if you guys want to check this out, a great book is called Mycelium Running by Paul Stamets. So, so one thing that mycelium has the ability to do is to decontaminate uh, carbon and water. Mycelium eats carbon. So hay is carbon. So by, by it being old and moist, there's like white mycelial mats within our hay. And what that lets us know is that the process of decontamination is occurring. And scientists have done research on this because I can say it, but I really encourage y'all to check out Paul Stamets. He gets, um, he works with the government to do research about mycelium and its role in our carbon systems. So that's one aspect. Another thing is that carbon in itself, one of the most flexible uh, minerals, elements, and what it does is it locks up to- toxins within itself. So there's a guy, his name, Jeff, Law- Jeff Lawton. Mm-hmm. He's a main figure in permaculture. He has a great documentary called Soils. And there he explains when he's doing compost, how the carbon it locks up toxins and it creates new chains, which then are able to be broken down by microorganisms. So those are two buffers that are included when we spread hay into our space. And they kind of buffer the, the potential for um, sprays because sometimes you, as a farmer, even if you don't spray your hay, 
if there's another farmer uh, over down the street from you, yeah. that poison glyphosate is like the main name, but that glyphosate can spray spread over to your fields. And that's what a lot of farmers are experiencing. But like I said, the fact that it's not fresh hay, that it's already been broken down, mycelium is working, and then carbon is breaking down and working, those are some things that kind of mediate for that effect. Oh. And we haven't experienced any any type of crop failure um, or, or any type of thing like that in relationship to the hay. The, the older the hay, the better. Good to know, because I've been afraid to use it. I actually, I, I don't know what's in it. You know, I don't know where it comes from. And just remember that it's the carbon itself, like the carbon chains, and that it's the mycelium that's uh, going to work. So they're, they're, they're using, uh, scientists are researching mycelium because you know, uh, we're getting in the rabbit hole, but yeah. scientists are using mycelium to uh, research about cleaning up oil pollution in our oceans no because they're finding out that you can train mycelium to eat, uh, to take up oils. So mycelium is a huge underrated aspect, literally, because it's under the soil. You don't see it until a mushroom pops up, but it's an underrated aspect in our growing systems, but it's a key factor in terms of metabolizing minerals, toxins, uh, bacteria, all, all of the, all of those things are metabolized through mycelium, and mycelium eats carbon. So when you put hay, old hay, on your field, you're feeding mycelium. So you you want that in your space. So, and speaking of minerals, Angelique, you said something a few minutes ago about y'all taking care of the soil. Mm-hmm. You said we check the minerals, and you know, so we have people at home that you know, are interested in growing and taking care of the soil and they want to be regenerative gardeners or farmers. And they might think, oh, I don't know how to check the minerals. I'm already two steps behind. So how, how do you do that? What is the process for a- assessing the mineral health of, of your soil right off the bat for just everybody at home? Yeah. So there's ISIS extension offices um, connected to major universities across the nation. And uh, you could call them or go to their website and send them a soil sample. They have directions on how you do it. Basically, you just take about 10 different areas around your growing area. You mix them all up. You let them dry so the moisture can get out. And they have a special packaging that you put a little bit of your soil sample in. You mail it in, and then they will email your results. You can always call them and have them explain what's going on, what is your soil missing. So that is the easiest way um, to get a soil test is to go through the IFAS extension office. How often should you be testing your soil? It, it's, it's subjective. Uh, we like to test our soil at least when we first get a new space okay. just to see what we're working with. Um, it's okay to check your soil once a year if you okay. from season to season uh, once a year really if you want to see the state of your soil but one of the things for growers if you don't want to deal with that is just consistently feed the microorganisms that that that's really that's really what it's about because it's the microorganisms that make those minerals available in your space so your soil could be deficient in nitrogen or your soil could be deficient in potassium phosphorus calcium or whatever But if it's not being digested by microorganisms, if there's no organisms in your soil, then your plants are not able to take up all of those minerals that you're adding, even though it's deficient. So you might be like, I'm adding calcium. What's going on? But it's not it might not be water soluble. You might need 
microorganisms. So feed microorganisms and that will unlock the mineral availability to your plants. And you feed them with organic matter, right? There you go. Mm -hmm. Like compost. Compost, yeah. Worm castings. Yeah. Do y'all use mulch or do you do cover crops or both? That's a great question. Uh, we're, We're starting to use both. It's mainly our new growing space that we have yet to cultivate that we're going to plant our cover crop. Because when you have a smaller space, you can manage it better by spreading the carbon. So in our urban areas, we use cardboard. Yeah, we don't even use hay. We'll use cardboard and wood chips because in a city, trees are chopped down a lot for Mm -hmm. the tree lines and then hurricanes and stuff. So that's an accessible resource. It's really about using whatever is accessible in your space. So that's, uh, that's a form of mulching that we do. But when you have a large space and you don't have the man hours or power or whatever to spread hay all over you, then cover crops is really the way to go. Really, the main thing you need is a grass and a leguminous crop. And grass can be oats, it could be uh, sorghum, sedan grass, it could be wheat, it could be rye. And But as in a leguminous crop, could be clover, hairy vetch, it could be cow peas, black eyed peas. So there's it's different combos that you can do based on your growing season and your uh, your growing zone. But as long as you have those two main things, you're, you're good to go. Someone asked us a question recently that I thought was interesting that I have never thought of. You know, we we tell people you can grow food wherever you are, even on your porch, even in pots, you know, even in your window, you can grow things. And someone said, do they do they need cover crops in their pots between season? And I had never thought of that. What would you how would you answer that? <laughs> I, I would say not really. Yeah. <laughs> you got to be really growing some containers to, to have to use cover crops in your pots. One thing it. With with the purpose of growing in pots, or one of the main reasons is to grow if you're not able to grow outside. Right. And if you're not able to grow outside, that means you have a more consistent growing conditions. So you don't necessarily need cover crops because you might not even have an off season. So you might like, okay, my tomatoes are done, cut them off and plant some herbs. Assuming that it's in the conditions that we just mentioned, the only thing you really need to do is feed your soil. Even some molasses, we mentioned that in the retreat, but molasses. you take a yeah, you take a cap full of molasses, add it to a gallon of water, shake, stir it up, and you pour that on your plants, and, and that in itself will feed the microbes in your pots. Oh, they got a sweet tooth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they like sugars. They 100%. like sugar. That's great. And I guess another thing you mentioned, like legumes, and you can plant leguminous microgreens in your pots inside. During the coldest weather, and there you go. Then you're ready for spring for your pot to go back out on the porch, and it's already. That's true, hundred percent. Sweet peas are really good. Yeah. So isn't it great? We like to talk about microgreens a lot because that's just a really accessible and easy way for for people to literally grow things that are incredibly nutritious and easy. Um, Tell us about a day in the life of an urban farmer. Well, we like to start our mornings early, like 5 a.m., get our mind right. So so we, on average, we spend about five hours at our space. It's crazy because farming in the 21st century is is a mixture of on-site activity as well as off-site communication. Yeah. So we have to be administrators of our business. 
Um, we have to engage with people and we have to make sure that we're translating our message and that we're facilitating learning experiences as well. So it's like to a dual thing. What happens is that by communicating with people, you increase your market for your food. So it's a huge aspect in getting gaining awareness about your brand, about your products is being able to communicate that. So we it wouldn't we wouldn't be able to spend all day at the farm without internet access and not share, hey, we have this type of produce or hey, mm-hmm. we don't have this produce today or else nobody would know who we are and we wouldn't have a place to sell our veggies. So that's one aspect is that being a local farmer, a local producer means that you have more responsibility to communicate with people because yeah. when you go to the grocery store, it's already there. You don't have to talk to a farmer. So there's no ebbs and flows at, at, at those places. And being a farmer here, we have to make sure we're doing our on-site work as well as communicating. And then in the wee hours of the night, that's when we do all our research. We're in the computer learning, observing and watching what's the, what's the, the next step, the next step. Do you guys, this is just you two? Do y'all have any interns? Nah, uh, just, yeah, just us too. Oh, just us too. you could probably get some. Yeah, just go over there. A lot. Go over there to your your campus and say, yeah, anybody want to come help? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, it's it's something that uh, like I said, it's our first year in this space, and yeah. it's been it's been a really learning lesson in terms of what we can handle while maintaining our health in the process. What we can handle, and it's um, having interns is something that we're definitely looking forward to. Yeah. Um, your life will change a bit. <laughs> when did when did you start Smarter by Nature? I mean, I know this is your first year with the the rural property, but how long? How many seasons before that? A couple. Yeah, the brand. Um, yeah, three three years before that. So that's twelve seasons. Oh wow. Yeah. So yeah, your seasons are different from ours. You don't really have an off season too much, do you? Now nah, we don't. It's oh. it's around the clock. Wow. Uh, so, some farmers they've managed really like one farmer that we know. Their name is Fuller Farm. I'm gonna throw them out there. They're really great. Um, they're one of our mentors. But they have managed. They've been farming for 11 years, and they found out how to take off like a month during the summer from their work and and go back to where they're doing. But we enjoy working. We we enjoy what we do, and we like giving throughout the seasons yeah. hot or cold so. so on that note i realize i don't know this yet you guys just do a farmer's market or do you have a csa or what's your business model there with getting the food out right now it's mainly the farmer's market and we also provide to online market as well how does that um, work so people have the opportunity customers so what we'll do is we'll post up what produce we have on sunday yeah and it's a membership it's a member market so you have to be a member okay. you go on this market you log in at 8 a.m. and you shop online cool. for to see what produce is available. And it's produce from all over Tallahassee, all over North Florida, like local, all local grown things. And you're just shopping online. And then Wednesday and Thursday are the days that you can pick up the food or have it delivered to you. Mm-hmm. And cool. we just drop the food off. So we were selling to restaurants at the beginning of the year. And then when COVID happened, that put a lot of stress on that whole system. Seriously. So we're looking to increase that next year and then the csa is probably going to be the last thing because it's it's a risk and it's a commitment so we want to make sure we have our system down packed before we um start our csa yeah that's really smart gonna ask you how covid had um affected you guys other other than that 
putting the restaurant business on the back burner. Has there been anything else that y'all have had to work around? Well, mainly thinking about uh, narrowing down what we're growing so we could be more profitable. Before COVID, we were growing microgreens. As COVID started to do its thing, we saw different effects with the seed suppliers and we couldn't consistently get the seeds that we needed. So we decided that we'll put more of our focus and attention with growing annual vegetables and also some perennial vegetables so that we didn't have to depend so much on the seeds. So that really, it really helped us, I guess, focus on the crops that people really liked and that was the least work and the most profit for us. Yeah. And then also when COVID first happened, I mean, it's been ebbs and flows because it's still going on. But when it first popped off, people were scared to go to the market. So like the first few weeks was like a ghost town at the farmer's market and some farmer's markets even shut down. Ours happened to stay. People depend on this food like where we are. But over time, once things started to settle a little bit, more and more people actually started coming to the market because they were saying that on the news that it was better to be in the open space yeah. than it is to be in an enclosed space. So it, it was it was ebbs and flows. It was challenging and weird at first, but then it started to help us out by creating more awareness of that there's people that sell food in open markets. So it, it's, yeah. it's been a ride. Yeah, I, I hear a similar story across the board with the farmers, kind of a double-edged sword, like uh, a lot of unknown and trying to rework things combined with actually a lot of business like uh, quickly and then not being able to keep up with it but it being awesome but yeah I want to know what kind of perennial vegetables you have found that works and that you know people in general the general public's really not familiar with a lot of perennial vegetables you know they they're used to their tomato squash and beans right but what do y'all grow that's perennial the main thing that we were growing, and it's it started off in our hedgerow, is turmeric. Mm-hmm. And that's really great because it's minimal maintenance. It doesn't need a lot of attention. And you plant it once and you'll have it forever. In terms of a green, it would be our Malabar spinach. Malabar spinach is a heat-loving green, which we look for in our space. We look for heat-loving things. And it, um, it's a perennial. It, it will it will die back after a frost, but it will continuously grow again. Um, and then we've been actually thinking today when we went to the farm, we're looking at our collards. And what, so what we do is, and we got this from a farm called Singing Frogs Farm. Paula and Elizabeth Kaiser are the farmers there. But what we do is we, we don't pull the whole plant up when it's time to harvest. When it's time to, fit, like at the end of a season, we'll cut it back down to the base, to, to the root, to, to the stem in order to leave the root in the ground. And uh, that helps the transfer of minerals in your soil. Then we'll plant new plants in between the spaces. But what we observed this season is that uh, one of our collard plants, it has come back as if it was like full fresh, live in the well, looking better than any of our seedlings that we planted. So it made the question, because even annual and perennial can be subjective. Some things that are annuals in some spaces are 
perennials in other spaces. True. One example is the cover crop clover, which um, in some spaces is perennial, but in some spaces it's not. And so that's it's a very subjective term based on the longevity of the plant. But we're noticing that collards right now is acting like a perennial in our space because we didn't do nothing. We cut it back. We were done. We killed it. And it, and it came back. That's so interesting. Yeah, that yeah, and there are a lot of them that you can create. I've heard this, and I'm, I've been playing around with it in my own garden a little bit. You can create kind of microclimates, which might be what you have going on there. You might it right. might be just like a place that had pens to be sheltered from the wind, or so I'm trying that with some um, some fig trees. We're oh. actually on, you know, it's kind of borderline whether the figs are annual or or perennial, and they get really big. Every summer they grow beautifully and they begin to get fruit and then the frost comes and then and then throughout a, a, a cold winter, we can get super cold here, they'll go all the way down, all the way down and I'll think, oh, they're dead and then it'll it'll do it again, it'll come back. So this year I've been put some stones around it thinking the stones would soak up the sun or right. whatever. I don't know, do you, right. think, you know anything about microclimates? I'm, I, w- I want to play with it. Yeah, um, one one thing that we appreciate is the learning and wisdom that we got from permaculture, getting our <laughs> permaculture certificate. And that's really where they drive home the concept, because it's all about diversity, but that's really where they drive home the concept of microclimates. And one of the main principles that we appreciate from permaculture, there's 12 principles, but uh, one of them is using value edges and margins. When you create edges in your space, that's where the microclimate is created. An example is the south side of your home, you might plant a tree up against that wall so that the sun can reflect off of your house, off of the paint of your home onto onto the tree. And that's an example of an edge. Um, when you use edges, that's really what creates the zones and the microclimates in, in your space. So, and then as you plant, you create edges as well. So, we really like that idea. And like you said, one thing could be going on 50 feet away, and another thing could be totally different in, in your space. Our backyard is a proof of that. It's like half sunny and like half shady. It's all facing south, but we have a lot of pine trees. And we had a hurricane when Hurricane Michael came. It knocked down like some of the tops of the trees so that now we get more sun in a specific location and it's shady in another. So we get to experiment with different things like that. Side note, another perennial green, I can't believe I left this out, is longevity spinach. Uh-huh. That, 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 yeah, it's, it's, okay. a, it's a really great spinach, a longevity spinach. So if someone um, picked up the Malabar spinach or the longevity spinach, would they recognize it as spinach? Um, they would recognize the Malabar yeah. as a spinach. Um, it has more of that uh, spinachy uh, sliminess to yeah. it. Um, the longevity you wouldn't necessarily recognize. It's very, it's very similar to Okinawa spinach, uh-huh. which is a, a purple. I believe that's perennial as well, matter of fact. But And they both come from Asia. Does it reseed itself? The Malabar reseeds itself, but the longevity spinach is a vine, and it, it doesn't produce seed. It produces like these fuzzy seeds, but that's not how it uh, proliferates or propagates. It propagates by way of, um, or it's vines going to the ground, and then roots coming out through the through the vines and the stem. Yeah, it's very easy to propagate. You just cut it, peel the bottom leaves off, stick it in some water or in some soil, and it'll grow a whole new plant. Where mm-hmm. can I get it? I've never heard of it. I never heard of this. 
I think you just got to go online and <laughs> yeah. look for a longevity spinach because you have to get it as a live plant. You can't get it as a seed. Right. Um, mm. you, you might have gotten it locally from one of our permaculture mentors. Yeah. People plant stuff all the time. So You might could get it off of Etsy. There's a lot of people who okay. sell plants on there. Yeah, Etsy, you. actually. That, that would be That's a great so one. Yeah, I'm going to get some of that. And it grows like it's a vine, so you can cover things with it. and It grows as a creeping vine, not a climbing vine. So it's not going to grow up on the trellis, but it'll grow along the floor. So it makes a, a ground cover. It yeah. Makes, yeah, a ground cover. I had a question, yeah. something else said earlier about market and talking about your local farmers. Do you guys know if following up from when you went to that March in 2014, is Tallahassee still considered a food desert given now there's more farmers around? Or Since then, there has been a, another market that popped up on the south side called the south side market and then for us i feel like we still have a lot of work to do because what is the opposite of a desert uh an oasis so it's like we have a we have a more room to grow we definitely need more local farmers yeah, yeah. but I, there are efforts being made to reduce that um, that food scarcity in our space. Yeah, and kind of related, do you th- have you seen a growing interest and in general knowledge about local food and people wanting it more since you started? Yeah, we've seen different customers come into the farmer's market for the first time. Like people are hearing more about fresh food and gourmet mushrooms and they're really coming out and hearing a lot of stuff from their friends or from the internet, you know, a lot of things circulate around. And the farmer's market is another place to go on the weekend and just have an outside experience because with social distancing and everything, it's not too many places that are comfortable to be. So a lot of people are finding their way to the farmer's market and learning what local food is and trying to distinguish uh, like conventional food from locally grown food. That's so cool. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I think it definitely is pretty COVID friendly to go to the farmer's market. I think too that there, there, you know, there's been a shift where maybe before COVID, the farmer's market was a, a great activity and something to do with the family and you get good food and stuff. But, you know, there was a point early on where people were really like, you know, they weren't sure if stuff was going to be in the store. So they right. Right. tailed it to, to right. the farmer's markets like out of necessity. And like, I, I think that's just a real, a fortunate kind of shift for, for farmers because then people start perceiving farmers as not just somebody you need to support because they work so hard, et cetera, et cetera, but you need to support them because you need to eat. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There was a point in time where it felt like, kind of to us, I don't know if yeah. it's universal, but the like support your local farmer thing could have felt like a, oh, help them out. They're working so hard. Yeah. Like, right. But right. it's not Taking really that. the farmers. Yeah. Right. yeah, and then you it's know, like, but then we can really we can get our food at the store, so it really doesn't matter. But yeah, you know. but it's right. like a survival yeah. thing. Actually, we <laughs> right. need them. Yeah. yeah, and as people gain an awareness, uh, yeah. the value of food of of quality is really about quality. Oh. People, people are they don't they're tired of 
getting subpar produce yeah, from, yeah. from the store when you can get the best quality from around the corner and have a conversation with the people. So our, our the value and appreciation for farmers is raising. That's something that we appreciate ourselves. And also, you know, we try to educate people on this, like the value of like actually talking to the farmer and saying, what are your methods? What do you do? Because you can go in the store and you can get, yeah, it might be certified organic, but um, that's become its own industry that has its own pitfalls. And you, you know, you don't know, you, you know, there are a lot of things between, you know, 3000 miles away and the grocery stores here on the East coast that you don't know about. But you can absolutely talk directly to Kip and Angelique and say, "How do you grow this? You know, yeah. tell me. And what <laughs> did you, you what did you put on this spinach? You know, and I want to right. know. I want to know in a meeting. And that, there's not, nothing replaces that. Um, so, how has being farmers and growing your business in the way that you have? How has it affected your life in other ways? What? How do you apply like sustainability and regenerative stuff to just like your whole life? Yeah. So I think being a farmer really opened our eyes to just having a process of doing things. Like you have to prepare, you have to plan way ahead to have a successful harvest. So it's about getting everything in order, being organized, even having your paperwork organized, like all that translates to our personal life because we're making connections with people we're doing like the podcast right now. So we have to schedule it in and just be on top of everything. Think about um, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to protect? So farming and our personal lives, really they merge together. I'd like to say it's making us a better person. <laughs> yeah, if it wasn't for farming, we might not have been getting up at 5 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> when you do it it's pretty cool it sounds crazy but when you do it it's um it's yeah. nothing better than like getting that first hour on the day and setting the tone for how you want to live that day yeah. yeah and they they say that early morning sunlight is 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 really beneficial for your health too 100 percent. do you guys go to bed earlier now we do yeah, yeah. So typically uh, we like to stay up late. We like to research because that's when you're like undisturbed. And yeah. it seems like more information is accessible. I don't know if there's internet yeah. connection. I don't know what's happening. But it seems late at night. That's when you can go on YouTube yeah. and get all the latest videos. But we, we're starting. We pretty much uh, wind it down. Like, all right, shut off everything at 1030. And we might stay up to like 11 or something because you still got ideas running through your head yeah. but it's it's a, it's a whole process so first you turn off the external uh stimulation and then you wind your mind down get all your thoughts out set your tone yeah. so that you can relax and go to bed and not be up thinking about the next idea i can relate to that for sure that's another little bit of sustainability that bleeds over into your life and you 100 you appreciate the cycles and I love what you said about processes too. I just think there's so much in farming that's like such a good like metaphor for life, which is like, you know, good things take time. And I was going to say that even learning to even just eat real local food yeah. is something similar right. to what you said, Angelique. You have to plan it. You know, it's the opposite of fast food and, and you have to plan. And even I'm a member of a CSA and I find that if I'm not methodical and organized about it, it just you yeah. get a lot of fermenting vegetables in your refrigerator. Yeah, so you have to be yeah, you have to be intentional about it. And isn't intentionality like 
the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It, it's crazy. It's it's it, it, it shapes you. It, it shapes you because now we're better consumers. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's it's definitely interesting. The whole being a part of the food system is a whole thing. Well, we started out with sustainable clothes, and now it's just it it's like affects everything. Yeah. And we realized you couldn't talk about one aspect of sustainability and and not pay attention to all the rest of it. So that's now where why we're yeah. talking to. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that you want people to most understand about what you do? For me, I want people to know that you have to show up every day. E- even though like food is a trend, like it's becoming cool and stuff, there like you have to put in the work every day in order to have a tomorrow. It- it's more so it- it's it's a wealth mindset that your actions today affect your tomorrow and that everything you experience today is a reflection of your past. So you just have to, for whatever you want to do in life, especially farming, just uh, get in the mindset, get in the meditation, become that character and show up every day. Even if you're not planting, learn something, connect with other people, just get in the mindset. And uh, if you do it every day, you'll look up and you'll be a farmer too, a gardener, whatever aspirations that people have, even outside of food, uh, starting a business, just show up every day, put something in the pot every day, and next thing you know, you'll have a cooked meal. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I like to say really anyone can grow food, can grow plants. It doesn't matter where you are. I would like to stress that people should have like intent and want to foster the good health of the soil, the water, the air, and just try to think holistically. You don't have to have all the latest tools and chemicals. There's definitely natural ways to grow food, and there's natural methods that anyone can use. They're super easy. The earth, nature has been here billions of years, a long time, and nature always gives us a chance to grow something. There's many lessons to be learned. Embrace the lessons. In other words, it's all about the good dirt. And we're all smarter by nature. (laughs) And you guys are philosophers, too. Yeah, you really are. I mean, we need to wrap up, but I I can tell that you guys also do a lot of running your business, doing your, you know, anytime you're, you're forging your own path, it takes a lot of like internal self-work too. And like definitely. really thinking about life and philosophy. Yeah. So. yeah. Definitely. It's a, it's a character shaper. Yeah. Yes. It, it oh my goodness. Character. It's just been a pleasure getting to know y'all better. The collaboration <laughs> will continue. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yes. And we appreciate this too. Oh yeah, and on that note, tell we need to, you need to tell our audience where oh, they yeah. can find you and when they can maybe expect your podcast and your YouTube and all that. Where can they find you? Cool. So um, our YouTube is called Smarter by Nature TV, and uh, our business is Smarter by Nature. So that's how you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And we love to communicate with people, so reach out to us, send us questions, whatever y'all want. Uh, we give information out. And we really appreciate people who support us. So if y'all subscribe to our channel, that'd be great. Um, We have a Patreon called Smarter by Nature as well. Um, We have a monthly newsletter where we share the different interviews we have. So when this comes out, this will be on there. Um, And we also share simple recipes 
that are in season, anyone can sign up to our newsletter through our website. Yeah. Uh, in terms of our podcast, maybe sometime in 2021. Okay. <laughs> uh, and it's like we have a lot to share, but it's we're trying to figure out what's the best uh, method to do that. Right now, what we're doing instead of a podcast is we're interviewing other farmers and we're creating videos and we're showing what are their growing methods and what are some of their principles that guide them. Yeah. So by checking out our Instagram and our YouTube, you'll be in the loop as to the people that we interview. But in terms of the podcast, that'll be sometime in 2021. You guys are really killing it. You're doing so much. Yeah. You're doing such a good job at it. It's really like, it's really hard to get both like the marketing business communications part and the farming part and I just can't wait till y'all have like interns to help you. <laughs> but you, you should know you're doing you're getting so there. well. Thank y'all so much. It's really inspiring. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Kip and Angelique from Smarter by Nature. Mom, what was what was your favorite thing that you learned in this interview? I learned a lot, but I know that I'm going to be looking up calabar spinach <laughs> right away as a perennial vegetable. Yeah, I'm excited about that. <laughs> I'm always looking for new perennial vegetables I can plant. That's a goal of mine to get more and more vegetables that'll come back year after year with very little work on my end. It's a goal. I'm excited and inspired to start my own herb garden. Yeah. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate and review, share with a friend. Um, we also want to send a special shout out to my brother, John Kingsley, who composed and recorded our new intro music and transition music. Thank you, John. And if you're not already following us, we are we are Lady Farmer on Instagram. You can find us online at ladyfarmer.com. And we thank you for listening and we hope to see you next time. Bye everybody. <laughs>